0: Who's in the foxhole with you? The victory depends on who is fighting alongside you in the trenches. We've talked about the spiritual battle that's going on. I'm reminded of Ron and I when we were law enforcement, which is... Ron's just about to be ready to come to an end. I think at the end of this month he's going to be retired at the end of March, and um, that's a good thing and a bad thing as you know losing him out there on the. But he's going to still be a part timer. So, but I'm reminded of, of of the times when we were in the trenches together, when we were out there doing things. It was in those times when it was the most difficult, when it was kind of a life or death situation where I had to have his back and he had to have mine, and there had to be this no second thought to the fact that we were there for one another. And it didn't change the fact that we could still speak in situations where maybe truth needed to be, but we could come back to that place later on and talk and go, hey, how about this or that, and and speak that life over one another. Many of us today, though, in the churches, we would rather be encouraged and uplifted rather than challenged and and, and changed. We would rather feel good rather than to be summoned to the truth. The preaching and teaching we receive is is our training. It should locate those wrong attitudes and flesh them out. But if we take the consumer version of the gospel and we develop the wrong thinking, an unredeemed f- flesh is what comes out. This is what the modern church, I believe, is being influenced by. The church I talked about a several weeks back is us as a corporate body. We are a body accountable to one another, we are not islands. Standing alone, we are the body of Christ. And we have a responsibility as the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters. are we afraid to offend someone so much that we won't tell them that they are headed for a sure death? What is more loving, not offending them, or telling them the truth with the possibility of offense? I have a video that goes along with that. Look, check it out Labradoodle What? Yeah, right down there I love good breed It's so good Yes, half lab, half moodle Wait, what? Incredible Incredible. Moodle? Yeah No, that's not a thing Ever No, no, it totally is Uh, A moodle Isn't that that Dave from Econ? Oh, yeah What is he doing up here? He's He's probably just enjoying the view, man Wait, isn't, isn't Dave blind? We gotta warn him. Hey, hey Dave. Whoa, 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 bro. What are you doing? You you can't just tell Dave what to do. Wait, wait, why? Are you blind? Uh, no. Okay, so then you don't know what Dave's gone through. You can't really relate to him, man. Just, Just, just let him be, he's totally fine. Literally slipping right now. Wait, wait, okay, you're gonna you're gonna get uh, all up on him for for slipping. Like everyone slips from here and there. I don't it's care no if he slips. I'm just disappointing- trying to keep a guy from falling off a cliff. No, no. Okay, listen. What what I think you need to do right now. You just need to love him. You need to not point out What does his that have weaknesses. to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything, okay? Like, if you... If you point out his weaknesses, he won't feel loved, he won't feel accepted. Just, I'm just like trying accepted. to keep a guy from going off the cliff. No, you're, you're not, get, not even stopping. Hey, Dave! Not, no, whoa, 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 stop it, stop it, stop it! If you speak out against blind people. So what many people will be upset with, with, you? with you. No, so many people won't like you. But also, what if, what if he doesn't like us anymore? you ever thought about that? Dave will be dead. Hey! No, no, Dave. no, no! Dave! Someone? Is someone there? Uh, yeah! Hey, Dave, how's it going? It's, uh, it's Charlie from school! Oh, hey, man! I'm doing this for, for Dave's birthday. Uh, maybe you can help me out. I seem to have lost a trail somewhere. You, you want to tell me if I'm going the right way? Maybe he is lost. Yes. You're right. We, we should still just encourage him. Yeah, yeah, hey, no, Dave, you know, you're doing great, man. Uh, you know, I love that you're out here, man, too. I'm proud of you, being out on this trail. You're doing great, man. You're doing great. Oh. Okay, thanks, man. Guess I am going the right way. Watch. He'll figure it out. You just gotta love him through his problems. Yeah, you got it, man. Dave, what are you doing? What? Hey. Hey. Neat video that make the point. <clears throat> Acceptance and affirmation are the catchphrases of the American Church. See, well, we can seem judgmental and unloving if we were to actually point out, listen, this might be the wrong direction. You could be in danger. I choose as your pastor this morning that I would rather offend you with truth than to applaud you into danger. We've all seen the super spiritual and find out that they're fakes and hypocrites. And I know that we've all been turned off by the gospel message that is preached by those that are super spiritual. And we actually, we call radical that have really no relationship with God at all when it comes down to it. We've seen the extremes, the polar opposites of this equation. But what I'm talking about this morning is walking out the truth, being authentic. This is how we witness living out loud a true, authentic Christian life. That we would be His witness. Our testimony, not always with words, but with how we live. Living out loud, our living it out loud is the greatest witness I believe we can have. Actions speak louder than words. How I live, what am I, is much stronger than what I can say. Do you choose people who will tell you what you want to hear? Do you seek out those who will agree with your position? Do you seek out truth? Or do you speak truth to your friends? I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about those people that constantly want to give you a piece of their minds. But those who will truly seek God on your behalf. Those who would speak truth rather than just to make you feel good about yourself. See, there, there's a mil- in the military, the elite military, the SEALs, the, the Berets... There is a reason why God intended each of these things. They, he's, they, they are there to cover one another's backs. They think as one unit. One body. If we don't operate this way, if I don't know who's got my back, then I can, be, I can leave me uncovered. In, the, in Ephesians, it talks about this armor that we put on, but there is nothing covering our backside. The function of a team is that every guy... In the platoon is covering each other's back. Everything they do is for the sake of the brother next to him. They believe it to their very core of their being. They are trained not to think of themselves as individuals, but as a unit. Even though they are trained as experts in different fields, explosives, communications, snipers, medics, weapons, all these things. But they function as one. They never go on a mission with the mentality of some may never come back. They always think, no, 100% of us go in and 100% of us come back. The attitude is ingrained in them as recruits. Each one values the man next to him more than he values his own life. He is willing to die for the bigger picture and for those around him. If only the church would have this same attitude. There are four principles I found in Philippians chapter 2 that will guide us as being a unit. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. He says, therefore, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one in Spirit and one mind. The church is united with Christ. Romans talks about it. He actually clarifies it to us. He says it there. He says in, verse tw- in chapter 12, verse 4, For just as each one of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The church is united with Christ for a common unit. We rally around Christ. He is the centerpiece. We think as one unit. That is, the, that is what he's talking about here. He's saying, listen, that we would not be on our own agenda, but that we would be thinking as one. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 says it like this. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Romans even goes a little bit deeper in Romans chapter 14. He says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. See, when we see ourselves as part of a bigger unit, the body of Christ operating correctly, I need you, you need me, we need each other, then we possess what the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, is a greater power, which is five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. That God would use us as one unit, that we can thwart the enemy, even though we may be small in number. God says, listen, with me all things are possible. Romans 15 says it like this, because we need to possess greater endurance and encouragement in these hours. And he says there, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is this place that we think about as one unit, that we would be, I know the Bible uses militaristic terms at times, but we are the body of Christ, one unit moving forward, one body, though we may have special areas. Some of you are pinkies. Chris likes to tell me he's the pinky toe. He comes every every week without fail. He's here to help me set this place up. When no one else except for Jordan is here at times, these two guys, they are diligent and and, and they continue to be here every week. Those little pieces of the puzzle are so important. Every one of us plays a little bit of a role in that. Whether it's somebody who's leading the, the youth, somebody who's taking the kids to Fresno, somebody who's watching the little ones, every one of us has a part in this. Whether it's Jamie who's over there with doing the food giveaway and giving out food on, uh, bread on Friday, whatever that ministry is, every piece of that is at work. And God uses that. So we work as a unit. The second thing is this. In the next verse, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I love the way the Amplified Bible says it like this. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit through factual Factual, factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant or self-righteous. Regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. So the second point is, well, the first part was that we are a unit, the second part is that I think of myself last. That I look at myself and I say, you know what, I have to put myself low so that he can be exalted. That I would put myself, my ambitions aside and push to the ambitions of those around me. The NIV Bible says it like this. It says, the mortal enemy of unity and harmony in the church is selfish ambition and vain conceit. Now Paul gives us the scriptural antidote for selfish ambition and empty glory. We are to view others as being held above and thereby hold ourselves lower than them. Which is exactly the opposite of what our flesh wants to do. It is difficult, in verse 4 there, to value others more than ourselves. As I looked at the original Greek here in this, this this verse, I found that he says there, when he says, Rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to those interests of others, I couldn't do justice to the actual Greek the way it was being said. And I, and I found some, some translations that would go along. It says, esteeming each other superior to yourselves. The, the, one of those words actually means to place in a place of leadership or hold his neighbor higher consideration and higher place of dignity than themselves. And I believe that that's what God wants us to do is that when we see those around us, we, we hold them in high esteem. We honor them. Romans talks about that in in chapter 12. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So some of us would say this morning, this does not come naturally, and I will agree with you. It doesn't. There are those times where we do certain acts of kindness, and we think that we've we've achieved this. But the reality is, this is of something of a a greater nature. It's spirit-empowered. It's 24 hours a day. It doesn't mean that I just love the ones that like me. It literally means that I hold myself into a lower position so that I can actually elevate those around me. Everything derived from selfishness is ultimately worthless. It is out of the Spirit that only He can produce in us. It is not enough that I would think of myself last, but that I would put others in a place of prominence. That's what he's saying here. I'm reminded of a story of a guy named Tom Knapp. He had never won a race during his entire high school career. Tom was a pusher. It was his task to set the pace for his fellow fellow teammates. He would then beat They would then beat him to the finish line. When he ran a successful race, he was enabling a fellow teammate to win. Even though Tom had never enough reserve energy for the final sprint to the victory, the coach considered him a valuable member of the team. If the encouragement of our example helps another person flourish and be successful, we should rejoice. When the eternal prizes are rewarded for faithful service to God, a lot of pushers will be wearing blue ribbons. Until then, let's keep running so that others can win. That we would forsake are the fact that we never get a ribbon, but I can be that person that says, listen, I'm going to push you to keep going. i want going to push you to run faster and stronger and harder than you thought you could do on your own. I want to pause here just for a moment because there is a difference in being a courager who speaks truth, at the expense, or excuse me, it is not affirmation and encouragement at the expense of truth, it is affirmation and encouragement at the cost of my position. It is not just this place where we were talking about like in this video, where let's don't say anything, let's just keep telling him he's okay. No, we still speak the truth. But there is this place where we encourage people to the place where we go, I'm going to put them above myself. I'm going to get lower so that I can raise them up. The next point is this in Philippians 5, 7, 2, 5, and 7, the next verses. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ did, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. What is this, last, this, this third mindset? Is that I think less of myself. I, was, I put this in as a search this week, and I was telling Chris about it. I said, I put in the search, thinking less of myself. And everything that had pertained to, to God had to do with, oh, well, you're insignificant, you need to be significant. All these things. And I, the reality is, is that, Lord, teach me to be s- small. This goes against everything we're taught. It's not even something the church wants to embrace, but it is in fact something that is biblically embraced. John Wesley, he said this, he observed this, he said he observed that neither Romans nor Greeks had a word for humility. The very concept was so foreign and abhorrent to their thinking that they, never, they had no term for, to describe it. When, the first, when during the first several centuries of Christianity, pagan writers borrowed the term, and I'm not going to try it, they always used it in derogatorily. Frequently of Christians, because of them, humility was a pitiable, pitiful, pitiable weakness. I'm reminded of a story. William Beebe, the naturalist, used to tell this story about Teddy Roosevelt. At Sagamore Hill... After an evening of talk, the two would go out onto the lawn and search the skies for a certain spot of a star like for for a star like light, and then the, then they would tower around and they would look for the great square of Pegasus. Then Roosevelt would recite that this is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as the Milky Way. It is as one of a hundred million galaxies. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. Then Roosevelt would grin and say, Now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. Lord, teach me to be small. I know it goes against what the, the church would try to tell us. But the reality is, is that's what God calls us to. He wants us to be small. Because here's the difference. See, our attitude today is I must have my rights heard. I must have my way. I have feelings too. I must be made to feel significant. Then I can truly make a difference. And that's the world's view. But God's design is different. I become less to be significant in His kingdom. I lay down my rights to truly know who I am in Him. And I must forsake my way to follow the true way. The third thing, or the fourth thing is this. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In fact, I love this other verse in John fifteen thirteen. It says there, greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for one's friend. See, when we have forsaken our lives for others, this is the self-sacrificing love. This is, I am convinced that it is this attitude that is the problem solver in our marriages. I am convinced today that this is the attitude that is the problem solver in our churches. I am convinced today that this is the attitude that was the problem solver for our United States. When, men, when I tell men to love their wives like Christ loved the church, it is a self-sacrificing love. I am of no value other than I am an offering. My life is an offering. See military men know their lives are expendable at the cost of others. This is the sacrificial love. This is the sacrificial service that true soldiers employ. My rights. What about me? I had a little niece that we were we were we were Talking about her sister one day. And we were talking about how she was playing the guitar. And we were all kind of going over her. And the little one comes up. And she goes, but what about me? What about me? So much that sounds like us. What about me, Lord? He says, well, you put all those things in their place. And let me be preeminent. Paul says this about our rights. He says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So this morning I say, well you go, well Greg, you know what? There are matters within the, 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 the church that are just matters of conscience. But the problem is is this, in Jeremiah 17.9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The reality is I cannot trust my conscience any more than I can trust my heart. See, the conscience is a safe guide only to the extent that it is properly trained by the word of God. If if I am not in the Word of God regularly, if I mean, and I'm not talking about your devotion or your favorite TV preacher, I'm talking about you getting in the Word and finding out for yourselves. It is at that point that we begin to understand. And Brian Bell, I believe he's a Calvary Chapel preacher, he says it like this, Liberties are controlled by conscience. Conscience is strengthened by knowledge and knowledge is balanced by love. So, I was thinking about this in light of a recent leadership meeting we had. And and Ron was saying in the leadership meeting, he says, I have never seen anyone hurt by abstaining. By putting something that they like to do away. I've never seen anybody hurt by it. See, but Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. As we have each other's back, part of that is this. That we do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Paul said in the next verse, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The Greek word here translated to stumble or fall is skandalizido. And it's the, the actual noun form is scandalon, And it means like a trigger on a trap. Paul viewed us as we cause others to stumble like a trigger on a trap. In what he was talking about, and I'm going to expand on it just real briefly here, he was talking about those that wanted to eat meat that was thought maybe had been offered to an idol. I want to spend a moment here just for a minute because I believe this, is, this puts us into our place. But let me first say this. In Romans 14, 13, he says this. Therefore, let us stop, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Put a place for them to stub their toe. Barclay, in his commentary, he says this. He says, This leads to the greatest truth of all. No man has the right to indulge in a pleasure or to demand a liberty which may be in the ruination of someone else. He may have the strength of mind and will to keep that pleasure in its proper place. That course of action may be safe enough for him, but he has not only himself to think about, he must think of the weaker brother. An indulgence, which may be the ruin of someone else, is not a pleasure, but a sin. So we go back and we say, "I can." Do, he said in Corinthians, he says, I have the right to do anything you say. I don't want to burden you this morning with more requirements, more do's and don'ts. But I do want us to see what the Bible says just for a moment here. Look in the next couple verses in Romans chapter fourteen, nineteen. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The New Living Translation says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and let us build each other up. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. For it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to stumble. The background of this scripture is that the church at this time, the Gentile church, was being placed, they had been placed, the the, the church of Jerusalem was placing more stuff on them. Saying, you know what? They need to be circumcised. They need to not eat meat. They need to follow the law, all these customs and stuff that the the Jews had done. And he's he's saying here, listen, this is not what I'm, I'm talking about. The background is this. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 15, it says there that they made a decision when they all came together. And I believe the church has to make decisions at times. They need to put something forward and say this is what is black and white. And they did this. It says, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to not burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols from blood and from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. And then he farewelled. It was just a small little excerpt that he sent with two men to the churches and he spread this out. The idea is this. What happened with this is like we always do and like I believe the church is doing Today. A group of Corinthian Christians, thinking of themselves wiser than the apostles, developed a reason and an argument that they thought that it was okay to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. So these mediators seem to have taken pride in their superior knowledge and spirituality. Paul has some things to say to this brethren. Using their own premise, Paul says that they have fallen short of true spirituality. Paul warns them in Corinthians. He says it like this. And there are two chapters here that kind of parallel one another. If you want to read this later, it's Romans chapter 14, and then it's 1 Corinthians chapter 8. They're both in line with Acts chapter 15. And here you have this answer back. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For as someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. So how does all this apply to us today? Well, Jude talked about it like this. He said, and this is what happened in the Corinthian church, for some individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped, slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord. The idea is this, and I believe commentator Diefenbach, he says it like this best. He says, when a thoughtless, self-serving saint insists on eating idle meat, you can replace that with anything. He knows that his weaker brother will be encouraged to follow that example. But in so doing, the weaker brother is not edified. He is caused to stumble. Insisting on my right to eat idle meat may cause a fellow saint to stumble, falling into sin. And in causing this, I find myself working against the purposes of Christ. I am therefore not only sinning against my weaker brother, I am sinning against my Lord. And this is the most serious offense indeed. So we say to this morning, Greg, okay, I'm not going to go out and eat any idle meat. I'm not going to go to any idle houses and eat any Buddha meat. How does this apply to me? Well, here's the thing it can apply in a myriad of areas of our lives. It can be what we watch, it can be what we drink. It can be how we act. See, there are those, and not all of you know the history of everybody that's in this room, but I know a lot of histories. I know some of you have wrestled with drugs. I know some of you wrestle with alcohol. And to this day, it's not something that is is good to be put in front of you because it draws us in. Just like a diet Mountain Dew does to me. Listen, I gave up Diet Mountain Dew, okay? And it's been probably a year now, but I'll be honest with you. If I went to your house and you had a a glass, a cold glass of Diet Mountain Dew with some ice, I'd probably want to gobble it up. I know. I know. But the truth is, is this could be in any area of our lives. Guys, I don't want to put more on us and say, okay, don't do this, don't do that. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying this, is that we are careful of what we do when others are watching, especially maybe what we put on Facebook or anything else. Because we can end up harming those who are maybe struggling in that area. I... I I say this because, and I'm going to use this example, I mean, we have the Resurrection Sundays coming up, and, and I know that there are those who have difficulties with the whole ideas of eggs and all that kind of stuff. Now, first of all, let me say this today. I'm not telling you if you color eggs that you're in sin. Please don't take it. For, that's not what I'm saying. But I, when I heard their arguments and I did my own research, I said, okay, you know what? This is what we're going to do. As a church, I know we did it. My mom can probably tell you. I remember that was a, we'd all dress up and everybody had their baskets and we would go on an Easter egg hunt right after church service. It was a thing we all did. I understand that. And I'm not telling you in your own individual homes that you have to give it up, but I am saying that as a church, from what I've seen from the, the past of it, where its beginnings are, I just can't promote it as a church. No more than I can promote Halloween. You're not going to ever see a trunk or treat here. And if that's what causes you not to stay, I understand. But the reality is, is this is what I found in the last part of Romans. Paul says this. just little bitty final instructions. He says this. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Now, I want to explain this to you. What he's saying is this. If you don't have the conviction, that's fine. But if it's a questionable area, I don't want to flaunt it. I don't need to let everybody know how I feel about that. It's okay to do that. It's okay to go out and do all these things. I can just simply go, you know what? This is something I do it Privately. And that's what Paul say, Paul's saying here. Listen, keep that between you and God. Because the sin is not what you're doing. The sin is because you cause someone to stumble. I know this goes against the church today because I've seen all kinds of stuff happening at churches. Listen, I can tell you about churches today that have marijuana parties. It came from God. Of course, it's got to be okay. See that's how foolish we have become. When we see ourselves as the body of Christ, through the eyes of eternity, we'll give a second thought to what we do to harm others. That's all I'm saying today is, if I have your back listen, guys, if you see me pulling out of antlers, it's not going to do you any good. Is it? I mean, honestly. If you walk in and I'm bellied up to the bar, you're going to go, what in the world is he doing? It's, it's, it's not. So, uh, we keep the things that, that don't have any business that can harm others. This is what I'm... Ron said it. Listen. Abstinence has never hurt anybody. now, Do I want to use my abstinence as a tool for righteousness? No. Do I think that because I don't do certain things that I'm more righteous? No. So let me make sure I make these things clear. Because I know this is going to be an area. I can already sense it. This could be an area of, of difficulty. And that's why I slowed down here. Because I wanted to make sure you understood exactly what I'm saying. It doesn't make us any more righteous. He is the only one that makes us righteous. But I choose... Because I have separated myself unto God. You see that all through the Old Testament. Men like Samson and and others who who were called to to a different lifestyle. Though he didn't follow it. But God calls us at times, I believe, to say, listen. You know what? This area of your life. It may be TV. It may be what you're watching. It may be TV shows that promote the world. That have to be turned off. I know Connie and I have had to do that. Just like, okay, you know what? We like this, but you know what? No longer. It, it's promoting the, the, the world's agenda. So this morning, as I close, I had a song that I was going to have us sing. But I felt like, the, as I was on my way here, I felt like the Lord wanted us to sing an old song that says, We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And then he says, we will walk with each other, we will walk hand in hand, and together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. So, what I want us to do this morning as we close, listen guys, I want you to know I love you, I have your back. I want you to have each other's back. And I want us to walk in the liberty and all the stuff that God has given us, I want you to be able to walk in that freedom. Just remember that you temper it with those around you. That we don't harm anybody in the process of me having my rights because I don't want to be violated. See, when I put myself in this position of lowliness, when I get small, I'm lifting those around me, I can say, look, you know what? Here, you're better. Than, you, you, you're better than this. I, I, I'm lifting them on a pedestal, saying, "Listen, I'm putting your your thoughts, your ideas. You're este- I'm esteeming you higher than myself." Please, this morning, don't go away thinking, "Well, Greg's trying to bash us because I don't believe that." I believe that there are there are things that are not even sin that are neutral things that can cause our brother to stumble. We just have to be careful of those things. Let's all stand this morning.